The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. We're in Luke chapter 8, right? We took a big old chunk last week, 21 verses this week. It's a little baby chunk, right? Uh, you know, Pastor Kevin already read the text, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 starting in verse 22. This is a very familiar verse for a lot of people, right? It's Jesus calming the storm, right? I think a lot of people are familiar with that. Even if you're, even if you're not raised in the church, I remember being familiar with this kind of verse, and I was never raised in the church, 23 years old, but I still knew, I've heard about it. I was kind of like, that's interesting. And then he, I heard he walked on water, that was interesting. Didn't necessarily understand these things, but I was familiar with them. Uh, there, there's a danger that comes with being familiar with text. And the danger is, is you know it. And so you can just tune out. Uh, my encouragement, and actually my prayer all week, is that you wouldn't do that today. Uh, that you would ask God to help you here in a, in a particular fresh way. Not that it's going to be new. You're not going to learn anything new today, right? Otherwise, that's called, you know, heresy. Um, but you, you might hear it in a particular way that God allows you to be able to see what's always been there and this beautiful truth that's in the text. So that, that's my prayer for us this morning. Know this, as we continue in Luke chapter 8, uh, what you're going to see is a major focus on Jesus' power and authority, right? Today you're going to see him exhibiting his power and authority over danger that's on the raging seas, right? Next week you're going to see his power and authority over demons. And then you're going to see his power and authority being expressed once again over, over disease and over death. There's these reoccurring themes that we see through Luke. And I think today you're going to see why. Why we need repetition, right? Because the disciples have been walking with him for a minute, right? And they've, they've been seeing some different things. And yet, I think what we'll see is, is they still have not arrived just like all of us. Right, uh, So know this, each story as we look at Luke 8 the rest of this month, it, it really presents worst case scenarios for people. Right, uh, It's the most desperate and hopeless situation and circumstance that you can find yourself in. And each story actually emphasizes the power and the authority of Christ. And so that's where we want to look. And so, so let's look. Let's just take the first two verses in Luke chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. Look with me, please. One day, he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. All right, let's just take that for a moment. Hey, Jesus comes, right? And he continues to do the will of the Father. So he and the boys, they set out, and they're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. That's the lake that's being mentioned here. We know that because there's three other gospel writers that talk about this, and they're more explicit in their writing. But why are they doing it? they got to get to the other side. Why? Find out next week, or just keep reading, right? But it appears that the disciples, right, after, you know, after managing the crowds, right, Jesus is dealing with the haters, right, he's healing the sick, he's raising the dead, he's tired, he's tired, so he just takes a little cat nap, right, and that's a biblical thing, so you should do that today, he falls into a deep sleep, and what we see is, in, in a moment, is, is well, actually we see here, 
All sorts of craziness just breaks loose as soon as Jesus goes to sleep. A windstorm starts to wreak some serious havoc, and the disciples are afraid. Know this. The, I'm going to give you a little history or a little bit of, it's not even history. You could go there today and see this. The Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet below sea level. So just think about that for a minute, right? And it's just 30 miles of this thing called Mount Hermon, which, by the way, is 9,200 feet high, okay? So now, now, now that's quite a change in elevation, right? So what happens is there's cold air that comes down from the mountain, and it starts to clash with the warm air of the Sea of Galilee, which results in some pretty nasty storms, so I've heard, okay? Um, storms and squalls and different things. When I, I, when I was there, I thought Sea of Galilee, it's actually a lake, but it's a big lake, I mean, it's a really big lake. And, and actually, you'll hear this, you know, Lake of Gennesaret. All these things are referring to the Sea of Galilee, but just different areas that people had named. But apparently, this thing's, even now, it gets just terrible, terrible storms that can kind of come out of nowhere, right? So professional fishermen from Galilee, like Jesus, many of his disciples, they were used to them. They weren't shocked by them right? It'd be like us getting like three inches of snow. I mean, if you're new to this area, that might be a shock to you now, right? Because we don't get snow apparently. Thank you, global warming. Just kidding. Don't, don't, send, don't send me emails. Uh, but you can, get some, you can get some snow around here. No one's shocked by that. If you're shocked by that, you shouldn't be. I mean, I do hear it though. So I can't believe it's snowing. It's December. It's going to happen. We live in Western PA. So the same thing here. But this must have been pretty gnarly, right? Because you got guys, like, I don't know if you've ever watched Deadliest Catch. I love that show. That's a, that's a nasty show. Like, I'm thinking, like, I don't care what they're paying you. That's not enough. The picture, I don't know if it looks like that, but it's a bad storm. If you've ever been in a bad storm, it can be terrifying. It really can be, right? I remember one time I was... I was on a boat in Lewes, Delaware with my dad. We were fishing. We are going out for tuna, and it was bad. And I got so seasick. I remember going back to the hotel room, and I thought I was still doing this as I was trying to shave back when I did that thing. And, and I mean, I was sick, and I'm not going to go into the details. You can imagine. But it was really bad, right? I remember one time being on Lake Erie. And the same thing happened, but I was apparently now used to it because of all my years of fishing, but none of my friends were, and they were all sick, and they were chumming the water, and I was just fishing. Every time one would get on the line, I'm like, who's up next? Oh, you're all sick? I'll take it. So it had its benefits. But these guys are terrified. Look at 24, just the first portion. So you've got this windstorm. It's bad. And it says, and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Man, I, I've, I've really been fighting hard not to preach Mark's gospel here. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I like it a lot better. Because he, he, he adds some pieces to this story. He says, do you not care about us? Boy, how that can happen in the moments when life comes crashing in on us. We can actually say the same thing. I mean, just don't forget, we have veteran fishermen here, right? The disciples were well equipped to determine the degree of how bad this storm was. And their panic at saying, Master, Master, right, do, do you not see we're dying? We're going to sink. Tells us that this situation is dire. 
It's very serious. It's clear that they're afraid. And they're afraid they're going to die. They're afraid Jesus is going to go down. What's going to happen to the kingdom? Right? And so in a moment of desperation, they cry to Jesus for help. That's a good place to go. It's a really good place to go in, in your time of need when you don't know where else to turn. It'd be great if we all turned there first. I don't know about you. Don't always react that way. I go to a lot of different things. My small intellect, the internet, other people, right? And then it's like, I've exhausted all other things. The Lord Jesus, right? It's like, come on, Scott. How long have you been walking with the Lord? Why don't you go there first? He's sovereign. He's good. He's in control. And, and slowly I'm learning. Well, Jesus gets up. Look, it says in verse, the second half of 24, he says, And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. Could you, could you picture that? Jesus woke up. Two amazing things happened, by the way, right? Uh, the first is, is just the words themselves. If you just look at the words, right? It's a simplistic command, right? He just essentially told the storm, knock it off. That's pretty wild, right? Like, he didn't have to brace himself, right? He didn't have to, like, you know, picture seawater splashing in his face like he's, you know, you know holding up a staff. He didn't do any of that. He doesn't have to do any of that. He simply says the word, and, and the storm obeys. The storm was acting up as though it was like this misbehaving child. And Jesus just says, stop it. And now it's all of a sudden a compliant kid. <laughs> it's just done. It's calm. It, it, don't miss the, the language of calm. It wasn't like two hours later. The wind started to die down. And eventually the waves. No. Right now. The water was smooth as glass. All was well. There are no waves. It's calm. Could you imagine the quiet? Because you got to... So you got to really think about these things at times, right? You got to, what, if you've been in a nasty storm with some serious wind howling around you, right? I have friends here that are from the south. I know that they've experienced some like hurricane winds, but you might have been near a tornado. It's a loud thing. Now just imagine all the sound, all the wind, all the waves, all the fear. The calmest day you ever could imagine right now. Why? Because Jesus said so. Because Christ commanded so. Well, look, he continues. We're going to finish this text pretty quick. Don't, doesn't mean we're done. Doesn't mean we're done. We have some things to learn here, I think. But, but let's just look. Verse 25. He said to them, now, now just imagine how quiet it is. He says, where is your faith? How does he say it? Gosh, I'd like to know. I don't have a clue. I, I don't think it's like some preachers preach. Where's your faith? <laughs> I, I don't think it's like that at all. But I also don't think it's like, oh, come on, guys. They rub their little forehead. and like, where's your faith, little buddy? <laughs> I don't know. And I don't want to shove in my thinking into the text. All I know is he says, where is your faith? faith where's your faith in the silence from the craziness quiet calm 
I bet that was a loud, where is your faith? Where's your faith? And they were afraid. <laughs> Do you find that fun? I find that fun. The storm's gone. All my problems, gone. And now they're terrified. That's what Mark says, right? I'm trying not to shove Mark in here. They went from being afraid to being terrified. Strange, right? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. In, in the absolute stillness of it all, Jesus rebuke, it is a rebuking question. It, it, I'm not saying he's being harsh. Jesus is not being harsh, but it is a correction. He's saying, I bet it rang really loud in their ears. That's my guess. Said, Where's your faith? He's not saying, do you have faith? He's not, he's not saying that. He's not saying, you lost your faith. He said, where is it? Why, why isn't it showing up? Don't miss what's happening here. The fear that they experienced is absolutely natural and to be expected. Did you ever hear, oh, faith is the opposite of fear? I get that. You need to unpack that because there's a time where you need to be afraid. You're standing on some train tracks. There's a train coming. Get afraid and get moving. Right? <laughs> there's times where, where fear makes sense. Right? But there's a time in that moment of fear where there's got to be a greater fear that overcomes you. A, a greater awe of the one who, who controls the train. Right? The one who's sovereign over everything. And boy, they, they, they are catching what he's saying. Listen, they were afraid that was to be expected. After all, it looked like they were going down like the Titanic. And Jesus has crashed out on the cushions. Right? I get it. I understand why they're afraid. Jesus is not implying that you don't have faith. I don't understand why you're afraid. He's just saying, where's your faith? Where's your faith? I don't know how he says that. Boy, that's captivated me all week. Why didn't it show up? I mean, think about all the things that the disciples have seen up to this point, right? They, they saw the big catch, right? We fished all night. We caught nothing. I know. Yeah, throw the, the net right here. There's no fish here. They're out in the deep. Just trust me. Boom. Throws it. The nets are breaking. The boats are sinking. Let's go. Okay, where are we going? It's going to be pretty awesome. Just follow me. So they go. Where do they go? Now we got some people. we got lepers, right? Not leopards, right? But lepers, like walking dead, right? Jesus heals them. Oh, you got someone dead. You're not allowed to be dead. Get up. This is what they've seen. And now they're on this. And everything's been going really well. Right? Like the disciples be like, man, I really, I really like how Jesus is you know, talking to the Pharisees. They were talking about us grubbing, you know, grabbing some food, rubbing some grain heads. And uh, they gave us some slack. But Jesus is like, hey, it's, it's okay. The bridegroom's here. I don't know if I'm picking up all that, but I got to eat some grain. It's been going really well. And Jesus now, in his kindness, he's just like, let's see how the boys do. And he just takes a little nap. <laughs> and they freak out. They freak out. Like, that should comfort you. You're like, you ever freak out? I freak out. You ever freak? I freak out, right? And it's like, yeah, but you know so much. I know, right? But I don't know much. I don't know much. Where's your faith, Scott? I mean, I've had, the Lord has never said that audibly to me, but oh, how I've heard it. Right? If you get what I mean. What are you doing, son? What are you doing? I mean, I've had this, this moment. 
Man, before Jesus calms the storm, they're afraid. But after he calms the storm, they're terrified. And they're in awe. They're in awe. Who is this? They said, who then is this? Remember, I think so many times we think right now they understand he's Messiah. They don't understand he's Messiah. That's going to happen in chapter 9. Spoiler alert. Right? Peter's going to confess Jesus as the Christ, but not yet. Great prophet, maybe. Man of God, definitely. But we don't know who he is. Who then is this? That's what they're asking. It's a good question. He commands the wind. He commands the water. And and the storm obeys him? With just a word. Right now. It's stunning. I mean, the storm's over. The danger's past. Yet they're shaking. They're not shaking because of the storm. They're shaking because Jesus is the Lord who is over the storm. And that's, that's terrifying. Not like, ah, but like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They know who they're in contact with. These men knew their Old Testament. In that time, they, they understood that God was the one who had control over all things. Now we debate silliness like this, right? And, and we think, well, he doesn't really know. That's such garbage thinking. Such a small God if you think God's not sovereign over everything that happens. We see over and over in the scriptures. But they knew that. And they knew that the seas, this was a scary thing. And all the different people who would worship different gods, they would pray to the gods to have power over the sea. Oh, please give us favor as we cross the sea. They knew God had all power over all creation. Okay? And so they're thinking, Jesus just told the storm to knock it off. And it listened. Guess what they're picking up? They're picking up what he's laying down. Uh, If you want, you can look with me. Or you can just listen as I read Psalm 107, 23 through 30. We're not going to talk a lot about it. We're just going to let the Word of God speak here, right? Like, listen to the language from the psalmist. So it's Psalm 107, 23 through 30. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord. How wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and he raised the stormy wind. Don't don't miss what they're saying. Which lifted up the waves of the sea. He commanded the storm to happen. We don't like to think like that. No. But that's what it says. And they mounted up. The waves mounted up to heaven. That's pretty big. You ever watch the movie Perfect Storm? I'm picturing that. All right. Mounted up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. The ship, the people on the ship, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and He brought them to their desired haven. I promise you they know this word. They knew their Bibles. They knew their Old Testament. And they're like, we just lived that. We've, we've read of this. But now we've just lived it. This causes us now. So that, I mean, that's the text. We could go on, but that's the text. This causes us, at least causes me to say, well, okay, what kind of faith do you have? 
right? If you remember a couple of chapters back, we'll know when the storms and the waves come and crash against the foundation, what your house metaphor, you're, you're building your life upon is made of. Right? If, it's, if you build it on sinking sand, when, it looks like everyone else's house, but when the storms of life come, it's going to get swept away. But if you build on a firm foundation of hearing the Word of God and obeying the Word of God and trusting Jesus, okay, you're going to endure storms too, but you will withstand them. Okay, here, here we have it now. This is what's going on. I mean, it's, I think we can agree it's, it's quote-unquote easy to trust God when sailing is smooth. Although I would press that if we had a lot of time and say, I disagree. I think sometimes the hardest time to trust God is when it's all going well. And if you don't get that, live long enough, you will. I don't have time to get into it. I really don't. But you're like, that don't make any sense. You'll come a day where you'll understand most days when the sun is shining, you're trusting yourself while you whistle hymns. You might not be trusting the Lord, but you'll know what's inside when storms come. I promise you. See, when everywhere you look and there's blue skies of blessings, right? It's, it seems it can be a, it can appear you're just full of faith. Yeah, I just trust the Lord. But what about, seriously, what about when storm clouds come? What about when, when your life comes crashing down? It's often in those moments that we can learn a great deal about what we really believe about God and His care for us. It's in those moments, right? Ask yourself, how do I respond to times of crisis? Do we panic and wonder if Jesus really cares about us? Yeah. Sometimes that happens. That's almost always the immediate reaction. If you're like, really? You do that too? Yeah. That's the immediate one, right? Um, maybe it's not for you. Are you able to trust God when storms come into your life? That's a question. You need to ponder questions like these. You, you need to think on questions like these. Why? Well, because you're all just one phone call, one text, one instant message away from your lives changing in ways you don't actually want to imagine right now. Right now. You, just, you might get it today. I don't hope that for you. I don't hope that for me. I just have lived long enough to know that's how it happens. It was sunny. Uh-oh. Life is not sunny right now. So you, you, you need to think on these things. This is why, for the City Church, we're so committed to preaching through books of the Bible. And the reason is because we could get up here and just pick text all day long that talk about the happy, slappy things of life, and yay, Jesus, and everybody would be like, woohoo, you'd feel great for a New York minute, you'd go out, life would smack you in the face again, and you'd have no depth to understanding who Christ is. But if we just go through books of the Bible, God knows how to teach His people. And so he orders things just so. And he has ordered this moment for the disciples. He's ordered it. You're like, well, I don't know if I believe that. You got to wrestle with the Bible then. You got, he's allowed this. They're about to face a legion of demons next week, right? Are you ready? Ah, let's see how you do with the storm. He allows these things to happen. 
You know I like this because storm, allowing this kind of thing in the Bible and in life indicates how wrong the thinking is that following Jesus will just bring untroubled, smooth sailing of life. Just love Jesus more and everything will go better. <laughs> what a foolish thought. That's just such a, it's just not a biblical thought. It's not, sometimes you follow Jesus and your life gets worse. Sometimes obeying Jesus makes pain increase. The Apostle Paul, well, I mean, I think he's got some pretty good examples of that. Right? And they don't always go away. And it's not because you lack faith. Paul, when, when he had a thorn in his flesh, if you don't get all that, that's okay. He asked three times if the Lord would remove whatever that pain and suffering was. And God said, no. But my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. And it is in your weakness that you will glorify me, not in your great strength and not in this deliverance. Do you have a, a theology and an understanding of God that can actually get you through moments of life like this? If, if, if I live long enough and if you stay long enough, I'm going to work hard to make sure you at least do in your thinking. Why? Because the longer you live, the more suffering you're going to endure. That's how the odds work. That's how they work. Storms abound in life, right? Levees break, tsunamis roar, hurricanes level everything. And I don't just mean physically, I'm talking internally. It's going to happen. Why? Why does God allow suffering and trials to enter our lives? We don't have enough time to tackle all that because that's a complex question, believe it or not. It's not just a simple answer. I could give you answers. And I can give you solid, right now as I think about it, a solid six possibilities. But that's not what we're going to work on today. It's not why does he allow it, but the question I want to focus on today is, what does he do in it? I can't answer that today. And I'm going to answer that today, God willing. Here's what I want you to know. Beautiful people, and when I say beautiful, I don't mean like glamour shots, right? You know, filter 47, right? <laughs> Whatever that is, right? When I say beautiful people, I mean people who love God and who love their neighbor. Beautiful people don't happen by accident. They don't. They happen very intentionally. They happen very intentionally. Storms, suffering are, are God's way of bringing us deeper into Himself and into His grace. It just is. If you have faith, even the most minuscule amount, you'll respond because you didn't muster up your faith. It's a gift. And so God will help you. Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. And boy, you should think about that quote. He's saying, I've learned to embrace the suffering that slams me into God. Why? It hurts. It does hurt. But that's where you will find sweet comfort. Listen, think about it. Without adversity, without, we would be insufferably self-focused, self-centered, proud, shallow, and empty people. Can I get an amen? We just would be. Oh man, do I know me. I know me. I like me, right? You've got to get this because without difficulties, without trials, without stresses, 
even, even without our failures in life, we would never grow to be the people God has desired that we should become. We, we wouldn't. Storms are essential. Suffering is essential for spiritual growth and vitality and health. If you've ever been able to sit with somebody in your moment of suffering, have them not try to fix everything and weep with you, give you a hug and pray with you, it's because they've been there. Oh, they've been in that seat. They've been in that moment. doesn't happen apart from it. What you generally get is a bunch of bumper sticker stuff. They come over and they say, oh, buck up, little camper. Slap a little sticker on you. Make you feel better. Not really. They actually add shame to your suffering because they're trying to fix it. You can't fix these things always. But you can trust the Lord in them every time. Right? Let me give a, a brief introduction to a beautiful man shaped by a perfect storm. I'm going to just do some reading here. In 1873, a man received a message from his wife who had sailed with their four daughters to Europe. So mom, four daughters, sailing. Where he had planned to meet them soon. And he received a, a telegram, a note, and it said this, quote, saved alone. She and the girls had been in a terrible collision with another ship at sea, and the ship had gone down. All of his four daughters died. It was just the latest of awful news in three horrifying years for this family. They had lost their son in 1870. Then they had a massive fire in Chicago that, that ruined them pretty much financially. And that's all before this horrific moment at sea. The man's name was Horatio Spafford. You may be familiar with the song. We're going to sing it after this sermon. And as he crossed the sea to meet his grieving wife, here's some words that he penned. You'll get to sing all the song, but here's just a few. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea, billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Oh, it's so good to know the history of these songs. Could you imagine writing those words as you go to see your wife as you grieve your four daughters are dead? It is well. That's what he says. Right? What could anchor a man's mind, man, woman, mind, heart in such tragedy to free him to be able to say, it is well. When you've lost everything that you can, can, can imagine. I mean, yeah, he has his wife. Yeah, he has his Lord. But let's just be real. Life is just way different from that moment on forever until the Lord makes all things new. How do you write that? This man knew, this man knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loved him. You can't write it any other way. He saw the, the cross of Christ and he knew, not his circumstance, he knew Jesus loved him. This, by the way, what we're talking about, this is not some kind of abstract thought or truth. Oh, Jesus loves me. No, 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 no. He knew to the core of who he is Christ loves me. He knew it. Jesus in that moment was closer to him than his very own skin. 
He helped him. And why? Because he knew when he gets to the end that he has Christ coming back. He has Christ coming back, and he's not going to, to judge him. Oh, he's going to save him, and he's going to resurrect all things. He's going to make everything new. His faith was in that future glory. Why? Because of a past reality that Jesus Christ died to save this man's soul. And he knew it. And so he can sing, oh, with tears, enough to fill up the ocean, I could imagine, flowing from his eyes, his well. It is well. You want to know the key to suffering? It's your only point for today. I'm getting lazy. Last two weeks have been one point. <laughs> I don't like a lot of points. I got more points than one, but this is it. If you're like, I don't know, I don't remember anything else, remember this. You want to know the key to suffering? Jesus, who is the almighty sovereign God over all creation, lived for you, died for you, resurrected for you because he loves you. Oh, I got a lot of other theological reasons why that happened. I really do. And don't make the mistake of making you the central theme of all of life. God's glory is. But it glorified God greatly to save you, to fix his love upon you. 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 Oh, it's stunning. It's stunning. Jesus loves you. Do you believe that? You do. I, I believe you believe that. Maybe you don't. I, I'm, I'm the majority, the you, I know you believe that. But you don't believe it as much as you need to believe it. And the thing that will show you you don't believe it as much as you believe it is when suffering comes and it will deepen that trust. Oh, there's got to be another way. There probably is. But that's not the way most often is shown or proven or chosen. It's not sunshine and lollipops. It's suffering, it's pain. What's inside you, you'll know when it comes. How will you respond? It's often the hardest thing in all the world to trust God when suffering comes. Because we ask things like this. I, I know I do. Does, does he know? Does he care? We don't say it out loud. And we certainly don't say it around friends. <laughs> Unless you've got some really tight friends. Because then you will. But if you've got some friends, you're like, ah, I think they're going to be like, oh, I don't even know if they're saved. Um, you won't. <laughs> and that's how you say it, by the way, if you say that. You won't say it out loud. But, man, you're saying it at times here in the, in the dark of night. Does he not see? Does he not care? You might not say it. But it, it's, a, it's a little thought that just kind of creeps in. It's a temptation to wonder about God's goodness. To wonder if he really does care. To wonder if he really does see. If, you're, if, you, if you experience that, by the way, know that you're, it's not strange. It's not, you're, it's not strange. You're like, oh, I, just, I thought I was the only one who thought that. You're not the only one who thinks that. I promise you. If everyone in this room could just be honest for a moment, you've all thought it. Not, not me. You, you have. You might not remember. And hopefully God doesn't give you a fresh reminder. But you have. The disciples are. I, I love how Gordon Lightfoot puts it. He says, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn 
the minutes into hours. You ever felt that? A minute. It's an hour. It's just so hard to get through a day. He says, where did the love of God go in those moments? I want you to know it's in those moments that, that we've got to be careful because we can wrongly conclude that God's abandoned us. Wrongly conclude that. That, he, that he, maybe he doesn't love us. Maybe we've, we've done something. Boy, if he loved me, he'd just make it all stop. And how wrong we are in those moments to make those conclusions. It's just, it's just wrong. Remember, remember this, though. The difficulties are not to be welcomed. Like, bring on the suffering, Jesus. I don't recommend that. It's not that they're good. It's not that suffering's good in and of itself. It's not good. It's not good. But it's trusting that God is good, even in it, and that He'll bring good. He, he will bring good from it. He'll bring beauty from ashes. Why? Because that's the kind of God we have. That's the God we worship. He makes all things new. If not on this side of eternity for you, I, it's, it's guaranteed. It will happen. It will happen. And this will all just seem like a blip on the radar, no matter how horrific it is right now. Right? God knows. I want you to know this. God knows every wave that crashes down upon your life, and He's not indifferent to your pain, not one ounce of it. He knows every ounce that comes into your life. He, along with every anxiety, along with every sleepless night, along with every worry, along with every innermost fear, all your hopes, all your dreams, He knows it, and He's right there with you. He's right there with you. He's with you on the mountaintop moments, and He's with you in the valley of the shadow of death. And He, doesn't he will never abandon you. And He's always at work. Doing a thousand things you can't imagine. And they're all good. And they're all good. But it's, it's hard to believe that at times. But he's there. It, you know, at church, it's so important that we don't actually measure God's love or Jesus' love for us based on our circumstance and our feelings. Because they lie, right? What do we base it upon? We base it upon the cross, we base His love upon the cross, right? It's there that we know that Jesus loves us. When all the rest of the world feels like it's against us, it's there we see He's most vividly for me. He's for me. It, you know, it's, it's not as important that we, we seek to change our circumstances, Right? I, I mean, I know it's just natural to want to do that, but what's necessary in those moments is that by God's grace, by His Spirit, that we seek to change our perspective. That we change where we look in the moments of the pain. Because it's when we, when we take our eyes off our circumstances, we place them on our, our Christ, on, our, on the cross, ruling and reigning at the right hand of God because He has triumphantly resurrected from the grave. We remind ourselves that He is mediating a relationship between a holy God, the Father, and, and a people who have no right or reason to ever be able to draw near to His throne of grace. And He's saying, I've made a way. You come boldly to the throne of grace. You receive help in time of need. Come. It's there. When we, when we set our sight on Him, Oh, maybe your circumstances don't change, but I'll tell you what, your heart's attitude towards your circumstances will. It's in that moment that you can anchor your soul to absolutely.
absolute reality that he loves you. Absolute reality that he loves you. You know, the fact that Jesus Christ is sovereign creator, sustainer over all things, ought to bring us so much hope because we look at the cross and because we look at the empty grave. Without that, we might not be able to know, but we know from that, we know he's beyond good. He's beyond great. He's beyond beautiful. He can be trusted, right? And so I I want you to, to listen just for the remaining moments to a text that I think deserves so much of your meditation, so much of your thought, so much of your energy, so much so that Years ago, we took 12 weeks to go through it at a different church. (laughs) And it's Romans 8. I thought, man, if you only know one chapter in all the Bible, that's the one I'm picking for you. And I think you'll see why. Romans 8, we're we're only going to look at 28 through 39. Okay? We're only going to look at 28 through 39. And uh, I think you're going to see an unbreakable chain of logic that you can really anchor your soul to. Or at least I hope so. Now, I want you to know that the context of this text is often missed. You've got what some theologians would call the the threefold groaning. Okay? Uh, Creation groans. You ever think about the world just groaning? Right? Dandelions. They're so pretty. And we say, kill them. They're groaning. We decided they're a weed, right? But, but the earth just groans. You've got hurricanes. You've got tornadoes. You've got all these things. It's just groaning. It's waiting for redemption. Because of that, we groan. We groan. We hurt. We suffer. People we love die. We die. We groan. Oh, it's so good to know that the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in all who believe groans with us. <laughs> right? So then in that, in all that pain, in all that suffering comes these words. And I guarantee you've probably heard some of these words, and they're on these little things, and you put them up on your wall, but you don't understand them until you understand them in the context of what's being said by the Apostle Paul. It's in the midst of suffering. Okay? Ready? Verse 28. And we know that for those who notice the qualifiers, this isn't for everyone in all the world. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So so note, you've heard this. This is like a bumper sticker, like Xanax that everyone loves to throw in your mouth when suffering comes. May or may not be helpful. It doesn't mean all your circumstances are going to get better and sunshine and poses are going to pop up wherever you walk. He's saying he's going to make all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What is the good? Great question. Keep reading. For those whom he foreknew. What's that mean? God has set his love on us. That's what that means, right? It's it's the simplest way I can say it. He is also predestined. Or God has planned a glorious destination for you. That's what it means. And we shouldn't shy from this. Let the word of God speak to your mind. Don't change your theology because like you've got now a thousand questions. This is good news. And what's the good that he's bringing from all our pain and our suffering? To be conformed to the image of his son. In order, 
Oh, that almost went down. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What, what does that mean? Essentially, God's pouring us into the mold of God's Christ's perfect love and greatness. That we might be like him. What a stunning thing. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Meaning, God has declared you righteous. He's given you a righteousness. It's an absolute gift by faith that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are declared, justified, fully forgiven, fully righteous, in the courtroom of heaven, perfect as Jesus Christ himself because you've put your faith and trust in him. God's working that plan out in real time right now. But then he goes forward. And those whom he justified, that's past tense, right? He also glorified. That's also past tense. I'm looking around. Some of you look pretty sharp. But none of us look glorified. And if so, I want a money-back guarantee. My ankle hurt really bad this morning. None of you look glorified. Why does he say it in past tense? Great question. Because it's as good as done. It's an unbreakable chain. Those whom he justified, he will glorify. It's just, it's just done. It's just it's done. <laughs> I'd love to talk more with you. But... If God is for us, you've heard that one, right? Oh, wait, no, he says, okay, so what should we say to these things? Good question, Paul. What do we say to these things? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? And we're like, yeah, but keep listening because this is, the, this is the, the hinge point right here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Don't miss this. God the Father did not spare the son, he literally, he gave him up on a silver platter. And when it says gave him up, meaning his life, his death, his resurrection, he gave him up as a sacrificial lamb, as a substitute for you and for I, for sinners. He gave him up. Now don't think for one second Jesus didn't say, that's the perfect plan, Father. Yes. He went willingly. He went willingly. Don't ever make it anything other than that because the Bible never makes it anything other than that. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus willingly went to the cross. And God gave him up in that way. So, okay, if he didn't spare his son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not, listen, listen to the logic, not also with him graciously give us all things? Meaning, if he didn't withhold that which is most precious to him, which is his son, why would he ever withhold anything for, from you? Now, here's where prosperity preachers get up there and says, so go get your bins. Bank full, cash falling out your pockets. It's not what he means. To endure this life into the next life. And so he continues, he said, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's rhetorical, right? There's lots of people that bring charges against you, but none of them are going to hold up in that courtroom. Satan brings charges against you all the time. In your head, you're always thinking these little negative thoughts about what people think about you, what you think about yourself, this, this, that. Other people bring them to you. Other people bring charges against you. God has no charge against you. You are forgiven and perfectly clean 
Why? Because you're awesome? No, because the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover all your sin. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If he did not withhold his son, he would never withhold because it would make him unjust. He's so good, he won't allow it. He won't allow it. So who's going to bring a charge against you? He said, it's God who justifies, not your good behavior. God has justified you. He has declared you righteous. And he continues, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gives us this list. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? And you're thinking, that means nothing bad is going to come into my life. Keep reading. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors, listen, through him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul says, <laughs> I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, listen, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, come on. Amen. Amen. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Not your bad behavior. Not anything in all the world. Why? Because, listen, God loves you. Oh, you need to believe this more than you do right now. And you need to know it's because He made a choice to love you. Not because of anything in us. It's while you're weak, ungodly sinners, he chose to love you. The reason that's good news is because none of that will change then. Nor anything around us is why he loved us. He loved us, because that, that could change too. He loved us, listen, simply because he loved you. Because he loved you. I'm going to finish this out. I know we're a little bit out of time, but you need to hear this. The truth of this can bring about tranquility in your life. Peace. Calm. Settle all the storms that are raging in your head and in your heart. Let me ask you, how well do you sleep? I'm serious. Now, there could be physicality reasons why you don't sleep, but more often than not, many times it's worry. It's anxiety. It's your brain constantly running. It is, I'm telling you. Melatonin won't fix that. <laughs> I mean, there's times I'll take a Benadryl, right? Because i got allergies and it helps me just conk out. I need some sleep. But I won't do that long. I'll start to ask, well, what's keeping me up at night? Is there something that keeps you up at night? It's in those moments that you, you've got to learn to ask, is what's keeping me up? And then you got to ask, I know you don't want to, but you can. It's safe to ask it. Where, where's my faith? Am I trusting in my circumstance? Am I trusting in this situation changing? Or am I trusting in God who's sovereign over my circumstance? It's a great question to ask. You're not questioning whether or not you believe. 
You're questioning where is your trust right now. Don't miss that. So consider this. If I'm able to trust Jesus with my salvation, and oh, I am. By God's grace, I am. Then surely you can trust him with this situation. Just think about the logic. If you can trust him with eternity, if you can trust him with all your sin, if you can trust him to die on a cross, resurrect from a grave, to save a sinner like you and I, surely there's nothing in your life that you can't trust him with. Surely, that's his logic. If he gave you his son, surely there's nothing he wouldn't give you that you needed right now to endure. Surely he's not withholding any grace from you in that moment of suffering. Surely not. So the answer is obvious. Yes, I can trust him. And I want you to know this. If you're able to trust him, then know this. By God's grace, you'll be able to sleep. Because sleep is a gift of love from God. It really is. I'm going to give you three texts. I'm going to pray. And we're going to continue to worship. Ready? Pay attention. Psalm 3, 5. I laid down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Psalm 4.8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 127.2, it is in vain that you rise up early. This is my life verse. It is in vain, I'm just kidding. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives, listen, he gives to his Beloved, sleep. Peaceful sleep is a picture of God's love to you. It's a gift. God does not want you going to bed anxiously worrying all the time about the things you can't fix or control. Trust Him. Trust Him. And you can trust Him. Why? He's shown He's trustworthy upon the cross. He's shown he's trustworthy in the resurrection. I can trust him. God, help me trust you. And by God's grace, he'll give you a tranquil heart. Peace will overcome you. That's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the way that you have orchestrated all of life the way that even in the moments that we would never choose, never want, you're at work and you're doing good things. Help us to trust you in these moments, Lord. Thank you for even allowing some of these things to come in that what we need is more of you because that's what we all need. So Lord, I pray right now that you would just reveal and comfort your people with a profound sense of how much you love them and that all the worries that are in their lives right now for at least for a moment might melt right before you as they, as they look at you, as they become what they behold. Lord, help us to be more like you, we ask in Christ's beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples, who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.